hope is built. I did it wrong already. Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Well, amen this morning. Uh, thank you, Brother Frank, for that, uh, that, you know, that on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is what? Sinking sand. Amen. It is it's just sinking sand. So, hey, listen, good morning, uh, everybody from our Hills campus. Uh, good to see everybody this morning. You're tuning in. We're so grateful for you tuning in this morning, and I want to wish all mothers a happy Mother's Day today. 
And I know this is a day you're supposed to be happy and everything, but I know there are some mothers that are heartbroken, you know. And I just, uh, we just want to remember all of our mamas today. And uh, if you were here this morning, if we could do this this morning, we'd recognize all the moms, the oldest, the youngest, and all this stuff. Maybe even get a free candy bar or, or maybe a Klondike bar or something like that. But hey, that's coming. We'll do that here in the future. But until then, have an extra piece of toast or have uh, some more coffee or something, wherever you're sitting there, and just do that. And just want you to know, too, that uh, I'm going to be meeting with my men Thursday, and we'll give you updates each week as far as uh, when we're going to come back together again. I know a lot of churches you're probably seeing are opening up, meeting, all that sort of thing. So we want to come up with a good game plan, and uh, we just want to make sure it's safe for everybody there. But we just certainly appreciate each and every one of you uh, being with us this morning. Well, listen, also, uh, in, 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 in addition to Mother's Day, I have some great news for everybody this morning. And so, and so uh, everybody kind of lean in. I want you to listen. It's great news. I just want to share with you uh, this morning that Cornerstone, the main campus, has approached us to uh, send us out on our own. And uh, so I'm excited about it. So the leadership team and myself included, we sense that God's timing is upon us to do just that. And so I have great pleasure to announce to you that the process has begun for us to launch out in our Beverly Hills community as Hills Church. That's what we're going to be named, the Hills Church. So we are so grateful to know this could not have happened. Listen, could not have happened. It had not been for two churches becoming one. And so uh, Heritage Baptist and Cornerstone Baptist had came together to form our present fellowship of believers uh, that we so love and enjoy each and every one of us. So now we are one body, and so I'm excited. So this week, be looking in the mail. You should receive a letter from our leadership team with all the details of our transition to be Hills Church. So, isn't that exciting news? I can hear you shouting in the room. All right, all right, that's good, good. Have an extra cup of coffee for that, that's good. So anyway, it's going to be an exciting time for us. Uh, Our presence in the Beverly Hills community is here. They know us as the Hills Campus, uh, so we, we thought appropriately the name ought to be Hills Church. And that's what we're going to be here in our community. So be in prayer with us as we officially become Hills Church. Amen? Let's do that. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. We're going to talk a little about where we left off last week, and we'll get started right into the Word of God this morning on this beautiful Mother's Day. Father, we just thank you and we just praise you, God, for all that you do in and through our life. And Lord, we know that nothing escapes your notice. You know everything from beginning to end. Just like, just like this campus here, Lord, becoming its own uh, separate church, Father Lord, Hills Church. And Lord, we're excited of what you're doing. Lord, you have been preparing us for this, such a day as this, God. And we just give you praise and honor and glory for all that you're doing as you are growing your church. This is your church, Lord. It's, it's all of us working together. It's the body of Christ coming together. That is the church. It's not the place as much as it is the people within the body of Christ. So God, we ask that you just show up this morning and that you show off in our hearts and our minds. Help us to draw close to you and as we draw close to you lord that you will in fact draw close to us and so father we just give a great uh, thanksgiving lord for all that you're doing in our midst lord and we thank you we lift up every mother all over the world father lord that you would touch all the mothers in our fellowship and beyond and lord that you have a special blessing for them today lord i i lift up sister joanne kelly and christine and edward and tessa i lift up the family the kelly family to you god and that you would bless them at the loss of her son and 
uh, last week, but we know he's not lost because we know where he is, and he's in heaven. And so, Father, we just thank you, Lord, uh, for that. And we just pray that, see, that all is because of you. It's not because of anything that we've done. We can't do anything to gain entrance into heaven except submit and trust by faith that we have through your grace of your death, burial, and resurrection. And so I, I believe that's exactly what Ed did. So, Lord, we just give you praise for all that you're doing this morning. We pray that your word would go forth in great might and great truth this morning and that you would touch all of our hearts on this Mother's Day. And, Father, we just give you praise and we give you honor and we give you glory for it all. If there's someone out there that needs to be saved, Lord, touch them with your word this morning. Someone that needs to be encouraged this morning, touch them with your word this morning. Lord, this is an encouraging time for each and every one of us. And, Father, we praise you for it all. For it's in Jesus' name and all God's children said what? Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. Amen. And so, and once again, it's good. And we've been going through the book of Acts, so you probably want to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 21. We're going to finish up with verse 40 of 21 and go into chapter 22. Woohoo! We're almost there. We're getting there. We're going to be there before too long. And uh, we're going we're, we're we're to finish the whole book of Acts. And so as those of you who may be just joining us, We've been in the book of Acts for over a year, and we started from the beginning of Easter last year, and we've been found right on through it there. But you know what I love about the book of Acts is this talks about the beginnings of the church, the inner workings of the church, how the church came together, how the body of Christ came together, believers, believers uniting, believers uniting and growing, and all these churches are being planted just like Hill's Church. And so, listen, we are part of the book of Acts, and so don't ever forget that, the I think when we get to the end of it, you'll see it doesn't end like a typical book. It doesn't end with an ending like a typical book. That's why, because we're still continuing the book of Acts. I think we're still continuing it right until the time that Jesus comes back and snatches this old wicked world, right? And I hope that all of you guys are ready and say amen with me. I can hear you in your home. So it's really good. So if you remember last week, we left you with where Paul was uh, in the temple. Remember, he went in the temple. He, he came to Jerusalem after his uh, third missionary trip. He goes into Jerusalem. He meets the Jerusalem church and James and all of them and gives a report on all the Gentiles that have been saved. And then, of course, James mentions all the Jews within Jerusalem that have been saved and, uh, and living according to the law, that kind of thing. And so then he goes up into the temple and, um, and uh, James and I think the whole council a little bit concerned for Paul because, uh, because a lot of the Jews were not happy with Paul. And they thought that he was kind of going against the law, of which we know that he was not. So when we go in there, uh, we go in, he goes in the temple, and when he goes in the temple, uh, right away uh, a riot comes out, and, uh, and they end up dragging Paul out of the temple. They close the gates behind, and they're beating Paul up, like, severely. But then if you remember last week that the centurion uh, was there with his, uh, with his soldiers, saw what was going on, he rushed down there. When they saw them approaching, they all stopped beating Paul. And he took Paul, and he took he had to take him out of there. And I'm sure he was beat probably severely. And uh, so they take him back to where the barracks are, and then they're going up the stairs. And when they go up the stairs, then Paul speaks to the centurion in Greek. 
And so this is a very important time in Paul, and it's an important opportunity for Paul to make much of Jesus Christ. See, that's what Paul was about, making much of Jesus. Like you and I should be making much of Jesus. He is the only hope for all of us. He's the only hope for mankind. He's the only hope for a virus. He's the only hope for death. He's the only hope for any one of us is the Lord living Jesus Christ who sits at the Father's hand and intercedes even now on our behalf as we come into our homes, as we come into the Word of God. So if you got your Bibles open to Acts 21, let's go in there and we'll start in verse 40. And so we're going to pick up. Here he is at the top of the steps. He's up there and he makes a turn. And, then, and he asked for permission to speak to the crowd, to the, to the, the captain of the guard. And the captain gave him uh, authorization to go ahead and do that after he spoke Greek. And it says, after he had given permission, verse 40, it says, Paul stood on the steps and motioned with his hand to his people. Can you see Paul doing that? Waving his hand to all the people right there. And it says, and when, and, and, and when there was a great hush, and like everybody got quiet, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Oh man, this is so, it's so exciting because first he's talking to the captain in Greek, now he turns around and he shifts gear and he starts talking in Hebrew to all of his peeps, to all of his people, all the Jews, right? So Paul speaks to the captain in Greek, but he is surprised because Paul, Paul to him is not just a common criminal. So uh, he wasn't expecting that. This, this uh, captain was not expecting Paul to speak in Greek, but he did. So he knew it wasn't just a common criminal. Now, Paul changes languages in his, to his native Hebrew language. That's what he's doing. The people's response to that is a hush in the crowd. And this is the language of the Jewish people. It's the, one, it's the Jewish people's language that they love and that they understand. And so it's important as Paul speaks that, being a former Pharisee and all that, highly educated, he's speaking Hebrew. He's, he's very well educated, as we'll see as we go on. And so look at verse 1. It says, brothers and fathers. He addresses them, brothers and fathers in Hebrew. He said, listen now to my defense before you. So Paul's about to give his testimony, his defense. And we've heard it before, back in the earlier chapter and acts and now he goes to share it again with this big mob of people who want to kill him right and so paul points out first importance that they are the same by speaking that hebrew language he points out that they're the same race they're the same they're just alike he shows respect in this uh in this in this opening engagement he says brothers and fathers so he shows respect to his elder men his fathers he shows that he demonstrates respect Always, Paul does that. Look at verse 2. He says, when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even quieter. And so can you imagine, can you just picture that? The mob of people, Paul is speaking in Hebrew, and then everybody just, the crowd just hushes down. Where you could like hear a pin drop as he's trying to talk to him. It's like calming the storm, right? It's like Jesus saying, peace be still to them. This is what's happening here with them. It's God's design for Paul at this to take this moment and capitalize on this moment that he has to be able to share the gospel. And so they are listening to a man, listen to this, who, are, who is one of them. So that's what he's trying to proclaim. I'm one of you. I'm one of you, brothers, sisters, Jewish, the nation of Israel. I'm one of you. I want you to hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. And as we go through this testimony, you're going to kind of hear his heart. Uh, through this all and how he was just like they are right then but then God changed him radically saved his life and so and so he begins his personal history look at verse three it says he continued he said I am a Jewish man born in Tarsus of Cilicia but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamal who was 
the Pharisee of all Pharisees, highly educated. He was, if you wanted a teacher, the most supreme teacher, Gamal was the supreme teacher. And Paul sat underneath his teaching. And so very educated. And educated according to the strict view of our patriarchal law, the Moses law. And so being zealous, now Lois says, being zealous for God, just as all of you are today. They're jealous of their Jewish roots. They're jealous of the, of, of the fact that they're Hebrews, that they're, they serve one God, and, and that one God is God, Jehovah. Here they are, and they got this man coming in here that's saying uh, that they think has been told to tell Gentiles not to even just to abolish the law altogether. And Paul never did that. And they think Paul is defaming everything by bringing Gentiles into the temple. Remember last week we talked about Trophimus coming in. They thought he was coming in, and he wasn't there. He might have been in the court of Gentiles outside, but I don't even think he was even there. And so as we look at this, Paul can sympathize with how they feel as one of them. He understood them. He understood because, after all, he was the same way, highly educated to the strict view of the Mosaic Law. That's what Paul was raised in. He was raised in that. Very zealous for God as a Jew, as as a Jew would be, right? And so Paul gives them his background because he desires, he has a motive. He desires to win them to Jesus. He desires for them to see with their own eyes the fulfillment of scriptures of the Messiah. He wants them to understand that the Messiah has come like he understood. And he's trying and he wants, he just, he 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 has a heart and the soul for God, that he wants his people to be saved, just like he was saved. And it's really an amazing thing. So that's his motive. That's always been Paul's motive. And we see this here. So look at verse 4. He said, I persecuted this way. He's talking about the Christian movement there. The Christian movement that they would call, the Jews would call a cult, the way, right? And that's what they were called at the beginning. Uh, and he said, I persecuted this way to the death. He said, binding them and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the brothers, he goes, I traveled to Damascus to bring those who were prisoners there to be punished in Jerusalem. So um, he was very, he was very, he had a lot of zeal. He was, he was, he was a zealot. He was going after these so-called Christians to bring them and to bring them into persecution. And so he was one of them. He's one of the crowd there, if if we can see. So we see he's very harsh, Saul, when he was lost. He was very harsh with these Christians. He was zealous for God and the law of God to good works, willing to persecute all people, men and women, to the fullest extent. That's what Paul was trying to do. He had wished to annihilate all those following in the way and that's what he was trying to do and remember as we said the way last week well, how did he get his name what did jesus say in 14 6 he said i'm the what the way the truth and the life he said no man comes to the father but what by me the way is legitimate it was legitimate right and so let's look on to verse 6 as we go into his testimony some more. It says, as I was traveling and here we go and near damascus on his way to persecute more christians right About noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. He says, I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I'll bet with that crowd sitting there and as Paul is sharing this, you probably could have heard a pin drop. It's probably just as quiet as could be as he's trying to give himself, give a testimony of what happened to him, right? And so, so notice Jesus calls Paul by name. Not once, but Jesus calls me twice my name, Saul, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? 
See, that should show us that whenever we commit sin in our life, what are we doing? Man, we're committing sin against Jesus. Whatever we do uh, uh, to the least of these, the Bible says, what? We've done it to him. And so we need to take that into account, especially when we're out and about and we're doing things to kind of mind our P's and Q's as far as how we, how we carry or how we conduct our life, what we do. And so it's something to think about. So Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So has God called you by name? That's my question for you today. Has God called you by name? Has he done that? I pray that he has. And have you answered him? That's probably the most important question. He calls all of us by name, but do we respond when he calls us by name? I pray that you have. And so what does Paul say in verse 8? He says, I answered, who are you, Lord? <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. He said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking. Now, his first testimony in Acts 9, 7 says that they heard a voice. And here they didn't hear a voice, but there's no contradiction here. And I just want to point that out. It's just that they heard, uh, but they did not understand what the voice was. They did not understand it, like it might have been a mumbling or something. They just didn't understand his voice. They did not know where it came uh, from, from what they just heard. They just, they just heard it. And so look at verse 10. He says, then he said, then Paul said, what should I do, Lord? He calls the Lord again. Look, Paul asked a simple question. What should I do? What should I do? And the Lord answered him. He said, and the Lord told me what? Get up and go into Damascus. And he says, and there you will be told about everything that is assigned for you to do. Where? To Damascus. That's where he told me to go on to Damascus. Why? To receive Paul's spiritual assignment or his mission of what his mission was going to be for the rest of his life. Verse 11 says, Since I couldn't see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good reputation with all the Jews residing there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour, he says, I looked up and saw him. And then he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to what? To know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the sound of his voice. So what did Paul's assignment consist of? This is what it consists of. Underline your Bible. It says, to know the will of the Father for him. God wanted him to know what God's will was for him. Paul, Paul, Paul needed to know the will of God. This is the will of God. This is what you're going to do, to know the will of the Father for him. And also to hear the sound of his voice in his life, that the Holy Spirit would come on, and he would hear the sound of his voice in his life, right? And why? And big question would be why? To be what? A witness to, of him for him. To be a witness of him for him. To who? To all the people, Jews and Gentiles alike. A witness of what? What he has seen and what he has heard. Look at verse 15. This is where it tells you that. For you will be a witness for what? For him to who? To all the people of what you have what? Seen and heard. And now why delay? He says, get up, be baptized, wash away your sins by calling on his name. So Paul here has been given really a private interview he was given a private interview with the lord initially and here's a private interview with ananias right telling him exactly what it is that god wants him to do i believe that's how paul learned everything was directly from the lord jesus christ we know that after all this he went off into arabia for about three years 
I believe he went in there and probably took his, took his manuscripts or whatever he had with him, and, and God just spoke to him as privately and just spoke to him as a personal interview. And so it was just really kind of cool. Uh, so, and here is the key. The key is Jesus is telling him to get going and quit wasting time. Let's go. All right, Paul, you're mine. I'm yours. Let's get up. Let's go. Let's get this thing going. Be baptized. Get going. Time is wasting. You know, time is of the essence. We got to get going because, Paul, I got a, I got a, a huge destiny for you. I got, I got so many people for you to see and to speak to and all that sort of things. So this is what Paul's doing. He's telling him, quit wasting time. And so when I look at this baptizing, listen, a lot of people misunderstand this, that you have to be baptized to wash away your sins. That's not what this is saying here. It says, get up and be baptized. And then he says, and wash away your sins by what? By calling on the name of the Lord. Your sins are washed away by calling on Jesus alone, with faith alone. And the grace that he gives you washes your sins away. Jesus took all your sins already on his body. You've got to just recognize and acknowledge that Jesus did that for you. Your sins are washed. You're made white as snow. Baptism doesn't wash away your sin. Baptism is a symbol of what Jesus had already done when you receive him. At salvation. So I just want to make that perfectly clear here. See, a lot of people take this scripture and they'll say, get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. No, 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 no. There's a comment after baptize. It says, and wash away your sins by calling on his name. And so it's just an important key thing to kind of, kind of look at. Look at verse 17. He says, after I came back to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple complex, he says, I went into a visionary state and saw him telling me, hurry. Get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. He said, but I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue at the synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I was standing by and approving and I guarded the clothes of those who killed him. So here, Paul, he never forgot what had happened with Stephen. He never forgot that he was present at the stoning of Stephen, the evangelist. And so he's standing there. In fact, he's guarding the clothes of those who are actually hurling the rocks down into the pit where Stephen was. So he experienced that. And not just Stephen, but many other Christians and men and women, as I said earlier, right? He was actually in charge of it all, and he never forgot. And I'm sure that at this time, as he's telling this, I'm sure it's breaking his heart. It's breaking his heart. Look at verse 21. He says, Then he said to me, Go. Because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And they listened to him up to this word. Notice, you know, he was sent. Yes, he was sent far away to the Gentiles. We know as he reported to James that they had won many Gentiles to faith in Christ. And so here he's up there trying to share with them. But as soon as he said the word Gentiles, man, it just totally changed everything. They listened up to this word. Then they raised their voices, shouting, wipe this person off the earth. It's a disgrace for him to live. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to see Paul dead, right, at this very moment, this time. So Paul had been speaking to the Gentiles about Jesus Christ. And mentioning the word Gentiles, it lights this fuse right where he's at in this thing. They will hear Paul no longer. And from this moment on, you see him really going after Gentiles instead of Jews. And he will always be in chains. And so, verse 23, as they were yelling and flinging aside their robes and throwing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, directing that he be examined with the scourge uh, so he could discover the reason they were shouting against him like this. And verse 23 says, as they stretched him out 
for the lash? Paul said to the centurion standing by, is it legal for you to scourge a man who is a Roman citizen and is uncondemned? So the captain could not understand. Think about this. So Paul is taken in. They're going to scourge him. Why? Because, one, he was speaking Hebrew. Well, the centurion, the guard, he didn't know. He didn't, the captain didn't know Hebrew. He didn't know what he was talking about. So he wants to find out what's going on. So in order to find out what's going on, he, they string him up to scourge him with a flagellum, which was the stick with the rope on it, had the shards of glass and bone in it, and this and that. So, so, so here Paul, so all he could do was get Paul inside the barracks. This is what the captain of the guard did. So in order to get the truth out of Paul, he decides to whip him. Then Paul pulls out his Roman card right here. Remember last week we talked about the Roman card? Paul didn't pull it out just to pull it out at any uh, prompt time. But evidently, the Lord led him. There was a need at this moment to pull that Roman card out. And he did. And he pulled the Roman card out. And Jews thought Paul brought Trophimus into the temple. Remember? We talked about that last week. So the Jews were against him, thought he brought a Gentile into the temple. And then we see the captain of the Roman guard thought he was an Egyptian riot leader. We talked about that as well. He said, Did, weren't you that Egyptian guy that raised a ruckus here? Remember last week we talked about that? And so here we have Paul, uh, you know, we, we, we think about that. So here the, the, the guards are not even following who Paul is here, right? And so, and also a Roman citizen appealing to his citizenship to escape the beating. So Paul, who is a Hebrew, who can speak Greek, and here he is, he's a Roman citizen. He's appealing to his citizenship to escape this beating, right? At this right a prompt, uh, a prompting of time. Look at verse 26. He says, when the centurion heard this, he went and reported to the commander saying, what are you going to do for this man is a Roman citizen? And so, and so if they would have done that, that, I mean, the penalty for somebody being a Roman citizen getting beat by a Roman would be death for that Roman that did the beating because they just did not do that. They just did not do that. So what are you going to do for this man is a Roman citizen? Verse 27, the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, he said. And seeing if Paul lied, it would have meant death for him once they discovered he wasn't. It would have meant death for him then. So, so he said yes. And so the commander replied, I bought this citizenship for a large amount of money, but I was born a citizen, Paul said. So obviously the commander was a slave, bought himself free uh, and to become, and he bought himself into a Roman citizenship where Paul was born free. He was born as a Roman citizen. So the captain here was an ex-slave, was purchased for freedom. He amazed that Paul is a Roman citizen who was born free. He was no ordinary man. So, so the, this, the, the captain, the centurion, realized that Paul was not an ordinary dude, right? He's not the ordinary run-of-the-mill guy that you're up there beating and this and that. So look at verse 29. He said, therefore, those who were about to examine him withdrew from him at once. It says the commander, too, was alarmed when he realized Paul was a Roman citizen and he had bound him because he was fearful for his life. That meant, that meant death for him if he would have tortured him. I mean, he already bound him up, so he was scared for his own personal life. So Paul was unique. Paul was unique in this respect. He was like a cosmic Christian, if you will, right? And what I mean by that, he could speak Greek, he could speak Hebrew, he could go both ways. Um, so he was kind of a hodgepodge of everything. He was like a jack of all trades, and, and I think he was probably a master at everything, the way, the way when we read about Paul and all that he provided for us and all the different letters and stuff in the New Testament. So when we think about it, Paul was a great asset as a missionary to the Roman Empire. 
uh, he had the Greek train growing up in, so he could go to Rome and speak to them. He was also trained in the Mosaic system. Uh, it was his Roman citizenship which opened the door for him to go to Rome. And he's going, going to Rome free of charge. They're not going to cost him a penny to go to Rome because he's going to go in shackles as a prisoner and, uh, and, and end up going to Rome, which is what he intended to do all along. And then Paul, once again, is equipped to become, listen to this, all things to all people that he might what? Win some. That's what Paul was. Paul was, Paul was ready. Paul was equipped. God had equipped him. Uh, God picked the right person to do what Paul did. And I'm grateful for what he did. But there's another side of Paul that I want to talk about today, being it's such a special day. Uh, Paul being, you know, we talked about him being zealous and being rough and tough and persecuting and, and all this kind of stuff. But there's another side to Paul that I want to talk about to bring out on this Mother's Day. Paul had to learn something. Paul had to learn how to love and how to nurture people. He had to learn how to do that, right? To deliver the grace that God delivered to him. He had to learn how to deliver that grace to others that God so richly uh, delivered to him. And it made me think of what kind of mother did Paul have? What kind of mother did Paul have? We may not know who Paul's mom was, but we know that he was certainly nurtured in a mothering way by other ladies. And so we may not know who Paul's mom is, but he was nurtured. Paul mentions a mother who was a mother to him. And so I want you to turn to Romans chapter 16. In Romans chapter 16, uh, this, this chapter here, he is a, um, it's, it's a highly personal chapter that Paul had written to the Romans. And there are 29 people he mentions in Rome. 29 people at the end that, that he appreciates, that he loves on. Uh, in fact, a third of them he knew from his earlier encounters. In fact, in the midst of this passage, uh, there is a curious one in Romans 16, verse 13. I want you to read that with me on this Mother's Day. He says, he says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Now listen, also his mother, and what does he say? And mine. So here's somebody, obviously, that made an impression on Paul in, in a motherly way. He was Rufus's mother, but Paul says, and mine. Rufus is chosen in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Rufus is mentioned one other time. And listen, the name Rufus was not a common name back in biblical times. Just not a common name. Not sure, but, but highly likely this Rufus may have been the son of uh, Simon the Cyrene. You remember him? Simon, the one who was volunteered to carry Jesus' cross. If you go back to Mark chapter 15 in the Gospels, verse 21, let's read that together. Mark 15, verse 21. Mark that down. You want to check this out. It's kind of interesting. It says they forced a man, here's Jesus being, making his way up to Galgotha, they forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. And he was what? He was Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and who? Rufus. Isn't that interesting? I think that's interesting. It's very interesting. Rufus, whose mother at the same time quite possibly mothered the apostle paul as well very possible if this is the case that this rufus that's mentioned here in romans 16 is the same rufus of mark 15 21 several reasonable conclusions that we can can be drawn from this number one at least some of simon's family had converted to christianity both rufus and his mother are given high praise of paul think about that number two simon was probably dead 
since no salutation is extended to him. Alexander may have been deceased as well or perhaps living elsewhere, or maybe he was not a Christian. We simply do not know the details of Rufus's brother, right? And number three, we know there is certainly a sense in which Paul regarded the mother of Rufus as his mother as well, which is so special. The meaning, obviously, is this. The literal mother of Rufus had, at some point in time, served as a mother for the great apostle to the Gentiles. Let us explore this matter a minute, too. During Jesus' ministry, he always taught the disciples uh, this is what Jesus teaches, that there would be painful circumstances to follow him, sometimes even separation from loved ones. But the Lord made a promise to his disciples in Mark 10, verse 29 through 30. Listen to this. In Mark 10, 23, he said, I assure you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house, brothers or sisters, mother or father, children or fields because of me and the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time. Houses, brothers and sisters, mothers again, and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. The list I just read does, does mention mothers, right? And so it makes me wonder if Paul's own family possibly may have disowned him once he became a Christian. Quite possible that that would have happened. It's a, it's a high probability that would have happened. Paul often referred to himself as what? A Hebrew out of Hebrews. It's mentioned in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. He says, he says in Philippians 3, 5, he says, Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born out of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteous that is in the law, blameless. And then verse 7, he says, But everything, think about this, that was a gain to me, I have considered it to be a loss because of who? Because of Jesus. And he says, more than that, he says, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, listen, I have suffered the loss of all things. Not some things. That could mean, that could mean material possessions. That could mean relationships. That could mean family. That could be everything. He has suffered the loss of all things. All things. And consider them uh, filth so that I may gain Jesus Christ. Paul was sold out to Jesus. Paul was sold out to Jesus that he considered everything in his life around him, everything in his life as a loss just to gain Jesus Christ. And so Jesus wants us to think about him in that way. We, there should be nothing should take priority over your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's so important for us to get that because, and I don't think we get that all the time, right? Right? Sometimes this old big old boy don't get that all the time. But I have to, listen, I've got to submit. I've got to get under the authority. Who's the authority of my life? It's Jesus. Who's going to lead me in my life? It's Jesus. Who's going to show me the way? It's Jesus. Who's going to show me what to say? It's Jesus. It's got to be Jesus in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and the promises that's in his word. It's about Jesus, folks. It's all about Jesus. The Hills Church is going to be known to be about Jesus, always. If, if i got anything to do with it, it's going to be known about Jesus. We're going to share Jesus. We're going to, we're going to bring Jesus. We're going to carry Jesus with us. We're going to go out there. We're going to share with people the love of Jesus Christ. The most important thing that we can do. So we look at this, and so it is possible that at the time of his baptism, of Paul's baptism, uh, his Jewish family could have viewed him as a dead person. That's what they would do. They would view him as dead to their family. You no longer, I disown you, Paul, Saul, 
you're no longer my son. You're no longer. How sad that would be, right? And it happens. It happens even to this day. Never to be mentioned in the family circle again. Anyhow, sometime between Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, which is around A.D. 36, and in the, the compilation of the book of Romans, written from Corinth some 20 years later, Acts 20, this woman, the physical mother of Rufus, had in some way mothered the apostle Paul. I mean, I think about all the beatings and everything that he went through. I think of how, how he was wounded. Somebody had to heal his wounds. Somebody had to nurture him. Somebody had to feed him. Somebody had to bring him back to where he needed to be. And there were women in his life that helped him to do and carry on the ministry that Jesus had called him to do. Amen? It's so awesome when you see this. Anyhow, and so we look at this. So we do not know, however, when and where he met these motherly ladies, you know, even though we know there are some. I mean, I think about, I think about his Second Timothy chapter 1, if I can read it here, get the tears out of my eyes. So anyway, I, I think about this, and he, said, and he says this in Second uh, Timothy. It's not on, on the slide, but it says there's, and I just want to read this. He goes, I, he tells Timothy this. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my forefathers did, when I constantly remember you, Timothy, in my prayers night and day. He said, remembering your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. He says, clearly recalling your sincere faith. Folks, do you have sincere faith like Timothy had that Paul noticed? Timothy, when I look at you, do I notice sincere faith in you? Sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois. Don't tell me grandmamas aren't important. Grandmamas are extremely important, right? They are important. And listen, he noticed this, and, and, and he didn't say nothing about his dad or granddad or anything like that. He said, Grandmother Lois, and then your mother Eunice, and that I am convinced the same attributes that these women had in love for God was in Timothy as well. How beautiful is that? What a beautiful picture that is. It's an awesome picture, right? It's a very much an awesome picture. We all have people in our lives who, who mother us along at different intersections of life. From time to time. I bet you can think back at some, a woman or somebody. You guys, I bet you can think back at somebody. May not have been your own mom. Might have been somebody else who gave you an encouraging word. Who comforted you in your time of sorrow. Who maybe fed you, whipped up a nice meal for you as a mother would. And I think it's just important to, for us to remember that uh, in this time. So what I want each of us to do is to reflect on the mamas of your lives today, thanking God for those motherly influencers, the ones to nurture and to love uh, in you throughout your life. I, like Paul, listen, was blessed with several, several good mother figures to help and encourage me along the way. And I think of there's several women, uh, I think of Granny and Pat that we knew up in uh, South Carolina, and how, you know, uh, she was a nurturing mother, man, and she would feed us and take care of us and, and just loved on us, no different than her own children. And I think about that, and I think, uh, I think of my, own, my, my wife's mom, Joanne, you know, who's in heaven right now, and I think about how calm and kind that she was uh, to me. I think of many in different churches, different places. You know, I've got people up in North Carolina from Aaron Lake, a lot of ladies who would kind of mother us along, you know, and I kind of look at them as good mothers to us, you know, and so, and maybe you have some moms like that. So, so here's the thing. Some, some friends of my family growing up, there's different ones, uh, and I'm sure that you also can think of some. So women, we could never repay for the time 
that they, and the effort that they put. I mean, they gave their time. They gave their time. The most precious commodity we all have is what? It's time because you can't get it back. And the, the devotion and nurturing that they placed in all of us. Amen? I mean, really, it's there. So I want to challenge you. Find a way, if able, to express your gratitude for these ladies. If they're still living today, hey, I want you to search them out. See if you can find them. Give them a call. Thank them this Mother's Day. And thank them for being that kind of a motherly influence. They might even not even be aware that they were kind of a motherly influence to you. But I want to encourage you, if someone was like that for you, man, give them a call. And wish them a happy Mother's Day. I think it's really cool. The fact that the Spirit preserved Paul's expression of thanks in this verse is, I'm sure, a significant point. He wouldn't have mentioned Rufus's mother as being his. It was important. In fact, listen to this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, listen, Paul, Silas, and Timothy jointly described their conduct among the believers there. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 says, Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, he says, instead... We were gentle among you as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. Paul learned that from somewhere, from someone, from many someone. He learned that from mothers who knew how to nurture and to love. Paul needed that. He was, he was full of zeal. He was persecuting Christians. He was killing Christians. He was given the authority to do that. And he did that with much zeal. But here, somewhere, people had changed him. God had put women in his life, people in his life, to hopefully change his heart. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you, you realize the stamina it takes to be a nurturing mother? Do you? I was reading an article the other day, and it's about, about a lady by the name of Elizabeth Trotter. Now, Elizabeth Trotter, she is a missionary uh, in Cambodia. She's a missionary who raises her family, and they live in Cambodia, right? And she made this statement. She says, we have this idea of a mother with her nursing baby. That's all sweetness and light, right? But it's not. <laughs> it's really hard work. You have to feed yourself well so you can feed your baby. You have to get up at all hours of the night to care for a crying child, and you have to try not to be cranky about all that lost sleep. Amen, moms? And that what happens? Listen, you need a lot of stamina to be a mama. You don't sleep through the night for months on end. You have to keep up uh, your water and calorie intake so you can properly be able to feed your child. Or you have to work hard to make enough milk, right? Sometimes you can't figure out for the life of, uh, uh, of you how to make this child stop crying. How do you get him to stop crying? But somehow you have to stay calm while you do it, right? On top of that, you're basically tethered to your child because what? You don't know when. They will need to eat again. And so you got to be ready, right? You sacrifice many things for this child and this child whom you love so tenderly and so fiercely. I know moms, i got moms sitting in this room right here, would do anything, would give her life for her kids and her grandkids. I know. And I, most moms would do that. Listen, this was a description that Paul's speaking of in Thessalonians. There is certainly more to it and being a mama that meets the eye. Amen. Right, men? There sure, sure is. We owe much to our mamas, especially the good ones, right? You don't have to be a biological mama to be a mama either. Isn't that right? I've got many women who were not able to have children. I think of Charles and Mildred, who were dear, sweet friends of mine, knew me ever since I was one years old. 
and, and she mothered me along, and they could never have kids of their own. I think of many, many women around that just uh, uh, that are, were not able to have kids, but they're still mothers to me. They still invested in my life. They still nurtured me. That mothering instinct was in there, even though they didn't have their own children, that they, that they had me, and I love that. And I just think it's a precious thing. So my challenge is for all of us to think about these mamas that were in our lives. Family or not, it's amazing. I think you need to call them. Apostle Paul learned how to nurture and be loving, full of grace. I believe there were a few moments in his life to show him how to do that. Amen? Paul was all about the message, and his life lined up with that salvation message. Nothing was more important to him than Jesus. And so my question for you, is Jesus the most important to you? I want you to thank a mama today. Amen? And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this time together. And I thank you for all of our precious mamas. Lord, we thank you for our mamas and what they mean to us, God, whether they're living or whether they're already gone. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, for those, for our mamas. Lord, I thank you for those mamas who were not really our mamas, but they loved us as a mama would in a nurturing and loving way. And Lord, help us, Lord, to find out who those mamas were that we can get on the phone, maybe give them a call and say, hey, thank you, whether you know it or not, you influenced my life, you nurtured me, you cared for me, you looked out for me. And I'm so appreciative of that. Lord, we know mamas, it takes a lot of work to be a mama. There's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of tears, a lot of hurt, and a lot of heartache, but there's a lot of joy and a lot of satisfaction in it as well. Father, I give you praise for all our mamas everywhere that you would bless them this day and every day. And God, we give you praise for all of our mamas everywhere. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to watch this little clip here about mamas. Just give me one second. Thank sure. you. Sorry. Uh-huh. Hey. Hi. Two minutes. Thank you. Hi, good afternoon. Sorry about hey, that. Hey, Hi, nice Hi. to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Have you ever done one of these interviews uh, over the camera before? No. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the job to get started with. It's not just um, a job. It's sort of probably the most important job. Uh, the title that we have going right now is Director of Operations, but it's really kind of so much more than that. Responsibilities and requirements are, are really quite extensive. Uh, first category for the requirements would be mobility. This job requires that you must be able to work standing up most or really all of the time, uh, constantly on your feet, constantly bending over, constantly exerting yourself, a high level of stamina. Uh, uh, okay. That's a lot. For how many, like, for how many hours? Uh, 135 hours to unlimited hours a week. It's basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm sure you'll have a chance from time to time to maybe just sit down here and there, yeah? Uh, you mean like a break? Yeah. Uh, no, there are no breaks available. Is, th is that even legal? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, yeah. so like no lunch? You can or... have lunch, but only when the associate is done eating their lunch. Uh... I think that's a little intense. No. no not possible. That's crazy. Now, this position requires excellent negotiation and interpersonal skills. We're really looking for someone that might have a degree in uh, medicine, in finance, and the culinary arts. You must be able to wear several hats. Associate needs constant attention. Sometimes they have to stay up with an associate 
throughout the night. Being able to work in a chaotic environment, if you, if you had a life, we'd ask you to sort of give that life up. No vacations. In fact, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and holidays, the workload is going to go up, and we demand that with, with a happy disposition. Uh, that's almost cruel. <laughs> that's almost a, a very, very sick, twisted joke. But when there's time to sleep or... Oh, no time to sleep. Yeah, all-encompassing, all almost. That's exactly right. 365 days a year? Yes. No, that's, that's inhumane. That's, that's very insane. The meaningful connections that you make and the, the feeling that you get from really helping your associate are immeasurable. Also, let's cover the salary. The position is going to pay absolutely nothing. Excuse me? No. Nobody's doing that for free. Yeah, pro bono. <laughs> Completely for free. No. What if I told you there's someone that actually currently uh, holds this position right now? Billions of people, actually. Who? Moms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moms. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and they meet every requirement, oh, don't wow. they? Oh my god. Moms are the best! Yeah, there's no pay, they're 24 hours, they're always there. Now I'm thinking about my mom. Yeah, and what are you thinking about her? I'm thinking about all those nights and everything. Thank you so much for everything you do. I know it doesn't seem like I appreciate all of it, but I definitely do. So, Mom, I want to say thank you for everything that you've done. I love you very much. You've been there through thick and thin. My mom is just awesome. She's awesome. Happy Mother's Day to each and every one of you today. Amen. Isn't that good? Give your mamas a call. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Look out for the letter. It's coming. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is the light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fierce drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled and striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless pain. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, Light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, 
Since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man, can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I stand.